Wow, Chip, you got some sun, huh? Yeah, I've been running outside again. Wow. Yeah. That's good. You thought so. I did think so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Oh, wow. Hey, everyone. Hey, welcome to Chip and Eric reading through the Bible to semi-ordinary pastors reading an extraordinary book to some amazing group of people. Wow. You said that like it was going to be something besides to an amazing group of people. <laughs> Pelicans. Like something. Piranhas. Piranhas. Ooh. <sighs> Hungry. Hungry for, for the word. word of God. I love it. Hey, we are excited to be reading to you today from 1 Kings. Eric, today we're going to read 1 Kings chapter 9, starting with verse 10, all the way through 1 Kings chapter 11. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what good? we're going to do. Yeah, can't wait. Let's hope it's not marathon day for me again. That was crazy. Past two days, I've done so much reading. It's not good for anyone. Well, well. Mm-hmm. It took Solomon 20 years to build the Lord's temple and his royal palace. At the end of that time, he gave 20 towns in the land of Galilee to King Hiram of Tyre. Hiram had previously provided all the cedar and cypress timber and gold that Solomon had requested. But when Hiram came from Tyre to see the towns Solomon had given him, he was not at all pleased with them. What kind of towns are these, my brother? he asked. So Hiram called the area Kabul, which means worthless, as it is still known today. Nevertheless, Haram paid Solomon 9,000 pounds of gold. This is the account of the forced labor that King Solomon conscripted to build the Lord's temple, the royal palace, the supporting terraces, the wall of Jerusalem, the cities of Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had attacked and captured Gezer, killing the Canaanite population and burning it down. He gave the city to his daughter as a wedding gift when she married Solomon, so Solomon rebuilt the city of Gezer. He also built up the towns of Lower Beth Haran, Baalath, and Tamar in the wilderness within his land. He built towns as supply centers and constructed towns where his chariots and horses could be stationed. He built everything he desired in Jerusalem and Lebanon and throughout his entire realm. There were still some people living in the land who were not Israelites, including Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. These were descendants of the nations whom the people of Israel had not completely destroyed. So Solomon conscripted them as slaves and and they serve as forced laborers to this day. But Solomon did not conscript any of the Israelites for forced labor. Instead, he assigned them to serve as fighting men, government officials, officers and captains in his army, commanders of his chariots and charioteers. Solomon appointed 550 of them to supervise the people working on his various projects. Solomon moved his wife, Pharaoh's daughter, from the city of David to the new palace he had built for her. Then he constructed the supporting terraces. Three times each year, Solomon presented burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar he had built for the Lord. He also burned incense to the Lord. And so he finished the work of building the temple. King Solomon also built a fleet of ships at Ezion-Geber, a port near Elath in the land of Edom, along the shore of the Red Sea. Haram sent experienced crews of sailors to sail the ships with Solomon's men. They sailed to Ophir and brought back to Solomon some 16 tons of gold. But when Queen of Sheba heard of Solomon's fame, which brought honor to the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She arrived in Jerusalem with a large group of attendants and a great caravan of camels loaded with spices, large quantities of gold, and precious jewels. When she met with Solomon, she talked with him about everything she had on her mind. Solomon had answers for all of her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the Queen of Sheba realized how very wise Solomon was, and when she saw the palace that he had built, she was overwhelmed. 
She was also amazed at the food on his tables, the organization of his officials, and their splendid clothing, the cupbearers and the burnt offerings that Solomon made at the temple of the Lord. She exclaimed to the king, Everything I heard in my country about your achievements and wisdom, it's true. I didn't believe what was said until I arrived here and saw it with my own eyes. In fact, I had not heard the half of it. Your wisdom and prosperity are far beyond what I was told. How happy your people must be. What a privilege for your officials to stand here day after day listening to your wisdom. Praise the Lord your God who delights in you and has placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king so you can rule with justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king a gift of 9,000 pounds of gold, great quantities of spices and precious jewels. Never again were so many spices brought in as those the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. In addition, Hiram's ships brought gold from Ophir, and they also brought rich cargoes of red sandalwood and precious jewels. The king used the sandalwood to make railings for the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, and to construct lyres and harps for the musicians. Never before or since has there been such a supply of sandalwood. King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba whatever she asked for, besides all the customary gifts that he had so generously given. Then she and all her attendants returned to their own land. Each year, Solomon received about 25 tons of gold. This did not include the additional revenue he received from merchants and traders, all the kings of Arabia and the governors of the land. King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold, each weighing more than 15 pounds. He also made 300 similar shields of hammered gold, each weighing nearly 4 pounds. The king placed these shields in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. Then the king made a huge throne decorated with ivory and overlaid with fine gold. The throne had six steps and a rounded back. There were armrests on both sides of the seat, and the figure of a lion stood on each side of the throne. There, are, there were also twelve other lions, one standing on each end of the six steps. No other throne in all the world could be compared to it. All of King Solomon's drinking cups were solid gold, and there were utensils in the as were the utensils in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. They were not made of silver, for silver was considered worthless in Solomon's day. The king had a fleet of trading ships of Tarshish that sailed with Haram's fleet. Once every three years, the ships returned loaded with gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. So King Solomon became richer and wiser than any other king on earth. People from every nation came to consult him and hear the wisdom God had given him. Year after year, everyone who visited brought him gifts of silver and gold, clothing, weapons, spices, horses, and mules. Solomon built up a huge force of chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses. He stationed them he stationed some of them in the chariot cities and some near him in Jerusalem. The king made silver as plentiful in Jerusalem as stone, and valuable cedar timber was as common as the sycamore fig trees that grow in the foothills of Judah. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from Cilicia. The king's traders acquired them from Cilicia at the standard price. At that time, chariots from Egypt could be purchased for 600 pieces of silver and horses for 150 pieces of silver. They were... They were then exported to the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Aram. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, You must not marry them, because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God, 
as his father, David, had been. Solomon worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Bolek, the detestable god of the Yemenites. And in this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely, as his father David had done. On the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, he even built a pagan shrine for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and another for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Solomon built such shrines for all his foreign wives to use for burning incense and sacrificing to their gods. The Lord was very angry with Solomon, for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. So now the Lord said to him, Since you have not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. But for the sake of your father David, I will not do this while you're still alive. I will take the kingdom away from your son. And even so, I will not take away the entire kingdom. I will let him be king of one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, my chosen city. Then the Lord raised up Hadad, the Edomite, a member of Edom's royal family, to be Solomon's adversary. Years before, David had defeated Edom. Joab, his army commander, had stayed with to bury some of the Israelite soldiers who had died in battle. While there, they killed every male in Edom. Joab and the army of Israel had stayed there for six months, killing them. But Hadad and a few of his father's royal officials escaped and headed for Egypt. Hadad was just a boy at the time. They set out from Midian and went to Paran, where others joined them. Then they traveled to Egypt and went to Pharaoh, who gave them a home, food, and some land. Pharaoh grew very fond of Hadad and gave him his wife's sister in marriage the sister of Queen Taphnes. She bore him a son named Genubath. Taphnes raised him in Pharaoh's palace among Pharaoh's own sons. When the news reached Hadad in Egypt that David and his commander Joab were both dead, he said to Pharaoh, let me return to my own country. Why? Pharaoh asked him. What do you lack here that makes you want to go home? Nothing, he replied. But even so, please let me return home. God also raised up Rezon, son of Eli. Eliada, a Solomon's, a Solomon's adversary. Rezon had fled from his master, King Hadadezer of Zobah, and had become the leader of a gang of rebels. After David conquered Hadadezer, Rezon and his men fled to Damascus, when he, where he became king. Rezon was Israel's bitter adversary for the rest of Solomon's reign, and he made trouble just as Hadad did. Rezon hated Israel intensely and continued to reign in Aram. Another rebel leader was Jeroboam, son of Nebat, one of Solomon's own officials. He came from the town of Zerida in Ephraim, and his mother was Zeruah, a widow. A widow. A widow. This is the story behind his rebellion. Solomon was rebuilding the supporting terraces and repairing the walls of the city of his father, David. Jeroboam was a very capable young man, and when Solomon saw how industrious he was, he put him in charge of the labor forces from the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, the descendants of Joseph. One day, as Jeroboam was leaving Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah from Shiloh met him along the way. Ahijah was wearing a new cloak. The two of them were alone in a field, and Ahijah took hold of the new cloak he was wearing and tore it into twelve pieces. Then he said to Jeroboam, Take ten of these pieces, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon, and I will give ten, I will give ten of the tribes to you. But I will leave him one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen 
kingdom out of all the other tribes of Israel. For Solomon has abandoned me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Molech, the god of the Ammonites. He has not followed my ways and done what is pleasing in my sight. He has not obeyed my decrees and regulations as David his father did. But I will not take the entire kingdom from Solomon at this time. For the sake of my servant David, the one whom I chose and who obeyed my commands and decrees, I will keep Solomon as, a, as leader for the rest of his life. But I will take the kingdom away from his son and give ten of the tribes to you. His son will have one tribe so that the descendants of David will continue, my servant will continue to reign, shining like a lamp in Jerusalem, the city I have chosen to be the place for my name. And I will place you on the throne of Israel and you will rule over all that your heart desires. If you listen to what I tell you and follow my ways and do whatever I consider to be right, and if you obey my decrees and commands as my servant David did, and then I will always be with you. I will establish an enduring dynasty for you as I did for David, and I will give Israel to you. Because of Solomon's sin, I will punish the descendants of David, though not forever. Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam, but he fled to King Shishak of Egypt and stayed there until Solomon died. The rest of the events in Solomon's reign, including all his deeds and his wisdom, are recorded in the book of the Acts of Solomon. Solomon ruled in Jerusalem over all Israel for 40 years. When he died, he was buried in the city of David, named for his father. Then his son, Rehoboam, became the next king. There you go. That's the end of our reading today. It is. Yeah. So we read that, and we had two questions in mind. What is this telling us about God? What is this telling us about us? Okay. Okay, I, I have a couple things here. What does this tell us about God? They kind of go together. So um, Queen of Sheba comes to town. You know, woo, amazing. And, and really, and, and she knew that, uh, that God had a love for Israel. I mean, it was no secret. So that's one thing. God's love for his people was no secret. Mm-hmm. They could see it. They could hear about it. And they yeah. could see it through yeah. the blessings. Yeah. They knew about it in the power. Mm-hmm. So God's love for his people, no secret. Uh, the other side of that, along with that, God wants our love back. Yeah. You know, his love for us, no secret. But he also, he wants, he wants our love back. He wants all of our hearts. So Solomon um, uh, didn't do that. You know, he he gave his heart to other women, to other gods, to let them set up some sacrifices there in town, um, and not not a good thing. And so, God's love is no secret, even when he had to punish uh, his people, and uh, and still still preserved what he wanted, but it punished them and allowed them to 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 experience some judgment there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's kind of like uh, you know two things, but kind of go together. God's love. For his people was no secret, and God wants our love. He wants our hearts. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. You know, and um, I think one of the cool things about the Queen of Sheba is she's like uh, an outside person who can look in and say, wow, God really loves you. God really has blessed you. And so she, for us as readers of this, she's kind of like an outside testimony of God's love. Toward Israel and, yeah. and and all of that. So, mm-hmm. like, we can read her perspective and say, okay, this isn't just the, you know, the Israelite perspective that God really loves them. There's a Gentile woman who comes from outside and says, wow, this is crazy. God really loves them. And um, so much so that she gives them this massive amount of gold, 9,000 9, pounds or whatever it was. 9,000. Yeah, that's what it was, right? 9,000 pounds. Lot. It was a lot of gold. So anyway, so that's important because the other thing that I'm going to say 
is that you can, man, and this is this is rough. This is rough, but I think it's what the text says. You can love God so much that he does great things through you. Such great things that everyone outside of you can see the greatness of God through you and still turn around and betray him and deny him. Mm -hmm. Um, That is something I see in this passage, and I think it's very sadly something we can see in the world. God can do amazing things through you, build palaces and temples and national wealth, and so much so that you've got skeptics who come and see, and then they, they realize that it's true. And then the next passage, the next paragraph in Scripture can be all about how you've betrayed God through horrible things. A thousand partners for Solomon, whether concubines or wives, and then setting up shrines to gods who demand the blood of children. Like, it's those are terrible things. So yeah, yeah, it's not like a little lie here. No, yeah. a, a little gossip. I there. mean, it, it's the crazy thing is this: <laughs> like David's little thing with Bathsheba was awful, yeah. right? Adultery mm-hmm. and murder, and it was terrible. Mm. But it does; n- it's not on the same scale as what Solomon did. Mm-hmm. And I know all sin is evil and equal yeah. when it comes to you know God's justice. Sure, but a thousand wives, foreign wives destroying the covenant, sacrificing children, like, and there's no repentance. That's the number one thing. We don't read about him ever saying, going back and repenting, you know, the way David did. David mourned for his child and then said, okay, I've got to get back to what God wants from me. Yeah. You know, we don't ever see that from Solomon, and it's crazy. So, long story short, God's love is no secret. God wants our love in return. We can give him our love in return today and turn around and betray him in horrible, detestable ways tomorrow. Um, and we have to be super careful, I think, to to be aware of that fact. If we live in denial of that fact, it's going to happen. Yeah, oh, you know, absolutely. It's going to happen. And what's mind-boggling is that Solomon, Solomon was living, literally, physically living in the blessing yeah. of God. God gave him yeah. all that. Yeah, Right? And then... And then while living in the blessing, he brought in to the blessing evil. Yeah. And and we can do that e- easily. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, how do you prevent that? I mean, it was such a – he's living in it every day. So I think, I think one way that you prevent that is you pay attention to the little things, right? It's just one sentence. Don't marry foreign women. <laughs> right? In Solomon's life, it was yeah. one little sentence. That's a good word, yeah. You know, in our life, it could be – don't give way to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Mm-hmm. You know, these little, seemingly small phrases that are incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, live by faith and not by sight. It's a little tiny, tiny thing mm-hmm. that can change everything, And mm-hmm. you know, if we neglect it. So I think don't even neglect the smallest part of what God is asking from you. You can love God with all your heart, mind, and strength, but if you don't love him with your soul or you take any piece of that out... You know, any small piece can change everything. You know, if you love God with your mind and your strength, but you don't love him with your heart, Hmm. you know, I I just think that there's a reason why God gives us all these details of his desires for our life. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I think that's one way that we can prevent doing what he did. Think of that proverb, uh, guard your heart. Yeah. You know, guard your heart, Mm -hmm. you know, protect it for it's the wellspring of life. Yep. Yeah, so find ways to, to do it, you know, protect it from these evil little things that creep in, become big, bad things. 
and probably too just appreciate the blessings. Maybe he just took a took them for granted, or signed the wrong source. Hey, this is because I'm both. so wise and I'm so great, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. right, yeah, absolutely, uh, yeah, yeah. Hmm. I think you got to see God at work in your life, mm-hmm. and then live like it. That's why I think you know um, David in a lot of his prayers had a good thing going. Um, he always came back, whether it was beginning or end or sometimes in the middle in the Psalms, like he always would praise God, mm-hmm. always go back to that. So maybe that's something we can do so we don't make these catastrophic things, do these terrible things. Yeah, I think that's Just great. Just keep, keep praising God for who he is, what he does, like throughout the day, every day. Yeah, if you haven't heard yet, we're really big on the spiritual disciplines. Right? Read the Bible every day. Yeah. Pray every day. Have a robust personal worship life. Praise. Every day. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. That's good. Okay, because any one of us could be Solomon. Mm. Yeah. Could be. All right. Well, hey, thank you for joining us today. No good problem. job, everybody. We have a lot of listeners. I'm just yeah, amazed. Cool. I don't, yeah, that's really pretty cool. Pretty cool. So, good stuff. Keep after it. It's easier to keep up than catch up. So, li- listen every day and. Mm. We will see you again tomorrow. Okay, can't wait. Bye.